We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Uh, This morning in Luke, we are taking a big chunk of the book of Luke and probably not going to get through all of it. So... Um, so just at the start, this is probably going to be a two-part message. Um, I, you know, I was optimistic throughout the week. This is always what happens to me. So you can kind of see a glimpse into my preparation. I, I'm always optimistic that I can get through more than I can actually get through in one message. And so here's what my plan was for this morning. My plan was that we would look at all of Luke chapter 10. And if you know anything about our series in Luke thus far... Uh, We have done not even a half of a chapter in one week thus far, Uh, and so that was very unlikely. I was being very optimistic, Uh, but all of Luke chapter 10, and I have nine points, okay? And one of our AV people this week was like, can you just, can you just add a tenth, like, just from, just, just for the rest of us, you know, like, make it an even ten. You know, it'll only add like 12 to 15 minutes, right? You got the time. Um, and, and, And I said, well... You know, I would love that, but I'm pretty sure I would give several people a heart attack or they would just leave. Um, But we've got nine points for Luke chapter 10, probably only going to get through four or five, but we'll see how this goes, okay? So Luke chapter 10, and here's what I want you to keep in mind as we go through this chapter this morning. I want you to keep this question in mind. What do we need to know for ministry? And what, what I mean by that is what do we need to know about who God is, what he has called us to do, and where he's placed us, and how he's equipped us, and and what are the things that we need to know to serve him where he sends us? What are the things that we need to know in order to do ministry? And just as a preview, one of the things we're going to talk about today is how ministry is not the job of pastors, it's the job of Christians. Because God has called us not just to himself in Jesus Christ, but Jesus has sent us as his representatives wherever we are. And he has called each and every one of us that know him, that follow him, to serve him in ministry. And so this morning we're going to look at Luke chapter 10 and there's going to be nine things over this week and and probably next that we'll look at as to what we need to know for ministry from Luke chapter 10. And so let's start with the first one, uh, Luke chapter 10. uh, And there are a number of things with each of these kind of sections and paragraphs in Luke chapter 10 that we could pause and talk about. And so, you know, somebody asked me jokingly, could you just add a 10th point, Pastor? Well, I could add many more than that, but we're going to kind of try to fly through this a little bit. And by fly through it, I mean probably a normal pace for you, but a, a much faster pace for me. So... Deal? All right? So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 1, uh, 1 and 2 here. Uh, Here's what we read. So after this, 
So remember, uh, we've just had the, uh, the transfiguration, uh, Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, uh, and then we've had a number of things happen in chapter 9 uh, where Jesus did some more miracles. He cared for this man's son and healed him and delivered him from a demon. Uh, and then he's talked about the cost of following him as well. And so after all these things, Luke says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so, so Jesus, he appoints these 72 others, is what Luke says. And so the first thing that I want you to see this morning about what we need to know for ministry is we, we need to pray for more ministers. And I don't mean we need to pray for more pastors, so, but that's a good thing to pray for as well. Churches need pastors, they need multiple pastors, and we need more churches with more pastors. Those are great things to pray. Even in a city in which... We see lots of great churches with lots of great pastors. You never have too many churches and too many pastors. Those are good things that we ought to pray for. But what I mean when I say we must pray for more ministers is, I mean, we must pray for more workers of the harvest. We must pray for more Christians, for more people that come to know Jesus in a saving relationship with him that are followers of Christ who, who not only say, I believe in Christ and I trust in the cross for my salvation, but no, I'm going to follow Jesus. And what that means is I'm going to serve him wherever he sends me. And so we, we need to know about ministry, that we need to pray for more ministers to serve alongside of us, for more believers like you and me to serve alongside of us in our communities, wherever Jesus has placed us and sent us. You see, what we see here is that ministry wasn't something that was just done by the 12, by the original disciples, the apostles, no, Jesus had many more people following him. He had other disciples. And so I think sometimes when we think about the Gospels, when we read the Gospels and what Jesus is doing, sometimes we have this image in our head of, of Jesus and just his 12 guys. And, and it's just Jesus and the 12, and they're just kind of going about doing ministry, and that's it. But in reality, there were a lot more people who were following Jesus. Yes, he had the 12, who would then be the 12 apostles, who would be the beginnings of the early church, and they would have a special kind of authority that he had given to them as leaders in the early church. But there were many more than just those original 12 who were following him. And so he, Jesus has already sent out the disciples, right? We remember that. We've already looked at that in the Gospel of Luke. The disciples have gone out and done some ministry, and now the other disciples, the 72 nameless ones. Have you ever noticed that when you read this passage, that we don't know the names of any of the 72? Jesus takes no-name, everyday, average Joes like you and me. He calls us to himself 
reconciles us to God through his work for us. And then he sends us out to do ministry in his name with his authority. I mean, I mean, Christian, he sends you out to do ministry. Luke, the guy who writes this, this gospel account of Jesus' life and ministry for us, he writes the gospel of Luke, and then he also writes the book of Acts. So it's a two-volume, large book. So if you've ever thought, hey, Pastor Grant, you preach for a long time, I mean, Luke, I mean, he had this two-volume set. I mean, he, he was a wordy guy. Luke is the longest gospel out of the four. And then he's got the book of Acts. That's the second part. So he writes all of this, this guy named Theophilus. His name meant uh, one who loves God. And he he writes this two-volume set for him to tell him all about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in the first volume in the Gospel of Luke. And then he's going to tell him about what Jesus continues to do by the power of his spirit through his people, through the church in the book of Acts. And so if you read that first chapter in the book of Acts, Luke says, O Theophilus, I wrote to you in the first book about all that Jesus began to say and do, and now he's implying everything in the book of Acts is going to be all that Jesus continues to say and do through his people. So that Jesus' own spirit in the book of Acts, what we read that Luke continues this story for us, beyond Luke chapter 10, where Jesus sends out the 72 other guys, is that Jesus' own spirit empowers even more people to serve him wherever he sends them. And that, that mission continues today. It continues in the lives of believers like you and me. So that wherever God has you this morning is not an accident. No, God has called you to himself so that he could send you out. So that you could do ministry. You see, one of the things that we believe here at, at JBC, at least that Pastor, and, Pastor Cameron and I try to communicate Uh, is that we believe in every member ministry. We don't believe that it's Pastor Cameron and I's job to do the ministry. We believe that it's the church's job to do the ministry. That it's God's people's job to do the ministry. You You know what the Bible tells Pastor Cameron and I that we are to do? And it's really an intimidating task for us. Paul, in the letter to the Ephesian church, he he tells them that the job of pastors and leaders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And and by saints, Paul does not mean uh, saints in the Catholic sense, these really holy individuals that are somehow on a different plane or level than the rest of us. No, what Paul means and what the Bible means when it uses the word saints is Christians, Everyday sinners like you and me, redeemed by the grace of God and called into his service to be about his mission and his purposes. We are the saints, friends. We are the ones that Jesus has called to be on his mission. And so 
here we see that Jesus sends even more than the 12. And then if you read the book of Acts, we see that it, it even goes broader than that. And then the story is continuing today as the Spirit works through you and I. And so the first thing that we have to realize about ministry is we need to pray for more ministers, more harvesters, more laborers to be sent out into the harvest. The harvest is this, is this idea that there's this field that is, it is ready. It's, it's ready for the work to be done. Laborers would go out into the field when it was time for the harvest. And they would do the hard work of harvesting the crops and there would be fruit born from it. And, and there is a field in front of us, friends. There is a city and a community in front of us, friends, that is ready for laborers to be sent into the harvest, that is ready for you and I, who are like these disciples we read about in Luke chapter 10, in relationship with Christ, walking with him, and called to serve him where he's placed us. You know, I was talking with uh, a church member yesterday who had read some of this passage. See, you can see we're not going to get through nine points, okay? But I was talking with a church member yesterday about this idea in these first couple of verses, and they mentioned to me that, that in a discussion with somebody, they had talked about this idea that when Jesus sends his people before him, here he sends the disciples to every town and place where he himself is about to go. That their presence there with the message that they were proclaiming was, was a preview of the king's presence, of the king's grace, of the king's peace extended to those people. And, and, and friends, it's no different with you and I, except that now we have the spirit of Christ living in us. So that wherever you and I go, as Paul says, we ought to be spreading the aroma of Christ. That where we go, serving Jesus on mission, our lives and our words ought to, in a sense, smell like Jesus. They ought to remind people of who Jesus is and show them something of who he is. Your life has tremendous purpose in Christ, Christian. You are called by the God who made the universe to be a representative of his. And here's the good news, because that should be intimidating for us. The good news is that he knows we're screw-ups anyway. He knows it and he uses anyways. That it's, that it's not you or I and our own abilities. It's his power and grace at work in us and through us. That's how the Lord of the harvest harvests. He uses laborers. There's nothing special about us. In fact, we're, we're a bunch of mes misfits and mess-ups. He uses us anyways. We'll see more about that here in a few verses. But first thing we need to know is we must pray for more ministers. He sent you and I on mission too. 
The second thing I want you to see in verse three here is that we must be ready for danger and opposition. Luke says, go, Luke says that Jesus, as he's sending them, he says, go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You see, lambs, it, lambs are vulnerable. There's never a fight between a lamb and a wolf in which the lamb wins, okay? except in the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God. You know, we, we see this in, in, in the Bible, but nowhere else, okay? So if you just look at creation, there's probably never a story which you've heard about where a lamb goes into the midst of a den of wolves, a pack of wolves, and comes out unscathed. Lambs are vulnerable. There's, there's a risk going where the wolves are as a lamb, okay? And so, so we must be ready as those, as those who are lambs sent out in the midst of wolves for danger and opposition. This thing that Jesus has asked of us, that he's asked of these 72 here, and then what he's called us to do as well. It's not about safety and comfort, which is really hard for us as Americans. Because in America, it's all about us and our safety, comfort, and happiness, which makes it really hard for Americans to follow Jesus and be about his mission. It just does. We have these ideas that these are the ultimate values, what we want for life, our comfort, our happiness. We have those things woven into us as we're brought up in this culture. But what Jesus has called us to and asked us to do and, and sent us out to do places us in a very different, very much more vulnerable place. We are sent out as lambs in the midst of wolves, in the midst of those who do not like what we have to proclaim, who, who, who want our destruction. There, there's an enemy that wants to devour us. You see, Jesus sends these disciples out to do his work, to proclaim his message of the kingdom. And he says to them, you guys are are lambs going out in the midst of wolves. You should expect some danger and opposition here. Not everything's going to work out. It's not all going to be success. You're going to go some places where there's going to be people who oppose you, who maybe even seek to harm you or destroy you. What Jesus has called us to, friends, is, is not an easy task. Like I said, it's one in which the Spirit of Christ is with us in, empowering us for. But the, that's the second thing we need to know. We must be ready for danger and opposition. Then we must depend on God alone. Verses 4 through 8, look at it with me. Jesus continues on telling them what they need for ministry, what they need for the mission. And he says, carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. So he's communicating there that there's an urgency to their, to their mission. Don't, don't stop and have all the niceties of, of everyday conversation as you pass by people on the road. No, you've got an urgent task. I'm sending you to these cities with a message to proclaim, and you need to go. This is urgent. 
And, and it's so urgent that you need to go and not talk to people as you go, but instead, you need to get to where I'm sending you and then start proclaiming this message. And as you do so, I want you to depend on God. Don't take any money. Don't take a bag of stuff that you might need. And, and if you've ever gone on a, on, a mission trip, on a mission trip, you need some stuff, right? You, you gotta have food, you gotta have clothes, you gotta have all sorts of stuff. You gotta have stuff. But Jesus says, no, go and do what I'm telling you to do. It's urgent and depend upon God. Don't bring any money, don't bring a bag, don't even bring sandals. And so, so they would have appeared in these cities without even shoes on. They would have appeared as, as, as meager as they could have been, as poor as they could have appeared. Because what they were offering to people was not a visible hope, but an invisible one. There was no thing about their visible appearance that said, hey, these guys have got something to offer me. And they were going to people who didn't have anything spiritually. They didn't, they didn't have what they needed. And Jesus sends them to the poor in spirit in the appearance of being poor themselves so that they can offer the invisible riches of the kingdom of God. So he says, go. Verse 4, verse 5, he says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. This verse is, is really hard to understand for us. Um, sons, of, sons of something communicated the idea that they had a, a characteristic about them that defined them. Okay, So when you say a son of peace, you're saying this person is, is defined by the peace of God. They, they want to know him. And, and so they're saying, go, he's saying, go on my mission, do it my way, and wherever you go, if there's a son of peace there, if there's someone who, who knows God, wants to know God, be about the kingdom mission, then they'll receive you. And if, and if not, as you extend the offer of peace to them, they'll reject it and it'll return to you. And then you'll move on. He says in verse 7, And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. He says, he says listen, you... You deserve to, to eat. You're, you're doing a work for the king. You deserve to eat and, and, and be paid. But, but don't take advantage. Don't take advantage of this family and then, and then go to the next house and take advantage of them. It's not what this is about. This is about you serving me. And he says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. So, so the thing I want you to see in these few verses is, again, that when Jesus sends us out to be about his mission, we must depend upon him alone. I don't mean that we shouldn't plan and pray and, and, and wisely prepare. So, so if you're headed on a mission trip, you should, you should probably pack a bag. Okay? That's not the point of the passage. 
It's not what I'm saying. It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is trying to get us to not depend on everything around us, but instead to depend upon God. When Jesus sends you somewhere, he is able to provide what you need, and he knows better what you need than you do. He knows better than we do. So, so yeah, ministry today, it should involve planning and prayer and wisdom. We ought to prepare. But we do so as those knowing at the end of the day, we have no choice or hope but to depend upon God who provides what we need anyways. You see, there were times when, uh, when I was in seminary and... If, if you know anything about seminary families and couples, uh, they don't have much money. <laughs> so when we, were in, when we were in seminary, I was going to seminary, and we were both working, and, uh, but, but it didn't matter how much you worked or, or how hard you worked. I mean, sometimes there were just times of financial strain, where when you looked at your income and your expenses for the month, they didn't line up. The expenses were almost always more than the income. And, and there were times where you got close to the end of the month and, and you had some bills you needed to pay and you wondered, how is this going to happen? And just at that moment when you're about to lose hope, for us, God always provided what we needed. You see, we, we knew he had called us somewhere He'd asked us to do something. He'd asked us to serve him. And on paper, it, it didn't make sense. And it's not that we didn't plan and prepare. It's not that we didn't try to be wise and, and not that we weren't praying and, and trying to do things the right way. I mean, we were working hard. We were praying. We were, we were seeking to do things wisely and not spending a ton of money. And I mean, like, and it, it's still, you still sometimes get in these spots where you don't have a way to make this thing happen. I mean, multiple times in those, you know, four to five years, we were at one of those spots where this wasn't going to happen if God didn't provide what we needed. And somebody who didn't know what was happening with us would just hand us money. And I was like, and, and every time it still surprised me you know, that God would provide what we needed. But he did. So what's, what's my point, though? Is, is my point to say that, like, hey, you're having a hard time. Don't worry. God's got 100 bucks for you. That's not what I'm saying. That's, that's not the point. My point is, is that God has called you to serve him wherever he has placed you and sent you. And your only hope is to depend upon him completely and utterly on him. He knows what you need better than you do. And he is able to provide what you need better than you are. Not that you shouldn't work hard. Not that you shouldn't be wise. Not that you shouldn't plan and prepare. But you need to know that if you're about the king's work, it's the king who's going to provide what you need. So we must depend upon God alone.
Fourthly, verse 9, we must care for the hurting and preach the kingdom. Jesus said to the, the 72, he said, as you're going, heal the sick in these towns and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is one of the things that you've heard me say before and you'll hear me say it again and again because it seems to be one of the things that we most often miss. We miss that there's two kinds of ministry that go hand in hand. They go together. There's, there's preaching ministry in which the gospel is proclaimed, the gospel is shared, it's, it's evangelistic. It's, it's where we tell people the truth about Jesus and what he's done for us. And then there's, there's more of what's called mercy ministry that cares for the real, practical, physical needs of hurting people. And as Jesus went about ministry, you see throughout the Gospels that he did both of these things. He cared for the hurting and he preached the kingdom. There's this idea sometimes in evangelical circles that irritates the heck out of me, if I'm honest. And it's this idea that says, just preach the gospel. Well, here's the problem with that idea, friends, is it's not what Jesus did. It's not what Jesus did. It's not what the disciples did. And it's not what Jesus has asked us to do. Jesus' ministry was defined by caring for the needs of the hurting and the vulnerable. And also by proclaiming the kingdom of God, the redemptive rule and reign that was present in his person and work. Jesus did both of these things, and so did the 12. And then now he's sending out the 72, these other guys, and he's telling them to do the same. Care for the sick. And proclaim the kingdom. And so Christians today, here's what I think Jesus is saying to us. Care for the hurting and preach the kingdom. Don't fail to do either of these things. My wife and I, yesterday, we got to meet this couple who has this wonderful ministry to prisoners and their families and and some others who are in tough spots in life. And, and what, what the husband just reminded me of was this idea that we have real hope to offer in the gospel. And it's not temporary hope, it's eternal hope. And it is what matters more than anything in this world. But if we're going to offer hope to hurting people, we have to care about their hurt too. We have to care for the needs of hurting people so that we can preach the good news to sinners. Are you tracking with me on that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Both these kinds of ministry go together and too often in the evangelical churches, they don't. You either have the just preach the gospel crowd or you have the, let's just care for the hurting crowd. And, and these two ideas are not meant to be separated and divorced from one another. They are meant to go hand in hand. This is the kind of ministry that Jesus was about. And it's the kind of ministry that he calls us to be about. 
So we must care for the hurting and preach the kingdom of God. And lastly, this is the last one we'll look at today. In addition to caring for the hurting and preaching the hope of the gospel of the kingdom, we must also preach the judgment of God. Look at me at verses 10 through 16, and then I'll explain what I mean. Jesus said to the 72, he said, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. If you remember Sodom and Gomorrah, it was not bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah. Fire rained down from heaven and destroyed the city and all who were in it. There was nothing bearable about that moment. But Jesus says to these Jewish towns who reject the king and his kingdom hope, that's going to be more bearable for these towns that didn't know God at all, that received fire from heaven. It's going to be more bearable for them than it will be for you when the king comes to you and offers kingdom hope and you reject him. You reject the message of the gospel. So it's going to be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. And then he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Do you remember the book of Jonah? You remember in, in Jonah how Jonah is sent to Nineveh and he, he hates that this is what God has sent him to do. And he goes kicking and screaming because God just won't let him go. But he goes to the city of Nineveh, these awful, this awful wicked city full of people who, who did horrible, horrible things. And God tells him to go there and preach. And the people of Nineveh repent. They sit in sackcloth and ashes. They repent at the preaching of the kingdom. And Jesus, he, he's talking about a, these other cities here. He's talking about Jewish cities where supposedly the people of God are supposed to live. The people who know him are supposed to live. And Jesus has already been to a lot of these places and he's done incredible, miraculous things in front of the people. And they still reject him and his message. They still reject his representatives as they preach his message. And Jesus says, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in these cities that were Gentile cities that didn't know anything of the God of Israel, that didn't know anything of the God of the Bible, if these kinds of incredible things had been done in them, if this kind of kingdom work had been done there, they would have repented a long time ago. They would have turned to God, would have turned from their sin and turned to God more quickly than the religious people who are supposed to know him. Isn't that often the case? I mean, we see this in the Bible, and we see it in everyday life today. It, it is so heartbreaking. And oftentimes, 
the people who are supposed to be the most religious, that they are supposed to know God the best, they miss him the most. Friends, I'm talking about us. When, when you read your Bible, when you read the Gospels, and you read about the Pharisees and, and those who aren't getting it, those who are struggling and, like, and like not seeing things clearly, the religious folks, he's talking about the church crowd. We are religious people who are prone to miss the things of God in our own pride. And we need the God who reveals himself to us to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. But back to the, back to the point I want you to see, this last point. That we must, if we're to know what we need to know for ministry, wherever Jesus calls us to serve him, that we must not only care for the hurting and preach the kingdom, the gospel, we must also preach the judgment of God. You see, Jesus tells them that as they go, when people reject them, it's not just, it's not just that they reject them, the disciples. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is that the king has sent his representatives, and they've rejected not the representatives, but the king. So when people reject the gospel, when they reject the good news, it's not, they're not rejecting us, friends, though they are. It's bigger than that. They're rejecting the king of glory. They're rejecting the God who made all things. They're rejecting the God who loves them and wants them to be reconciled to himself. You see, when, when people reject the good news... It's not about them rejecting some religion. It's about them rejecting the God who made them. When peace, when hope, when good news is offered from God himself and you tell God no, a king has come to you out of love for you and you've rejected him. It's a weighty, weighty thing. You see, sin isn't just about what we've done, it's about who we've done it against. It's, it, it is, you know, David Platt, I love his stories. He tells this one where he was having a conversation, or maybe it was a friend of his, it doesn't matter. He, this person was having a, a conversation with a taxi cab driver in a foreign country about Jesus and the gospel. And, and he was trying to explain the weight of sin and why it's so serious that it would invite God's judgment on us. And, and he told him it's not about just what's been done, it's about who it's been done against. And he illustrated it by saying, if you as a taxi cab driver were to or if I, were to, if I were to slap you across the face, what would be the punishment for that? And I said, I'd tell you to get out of my cab. And he said, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, you'd tell me to get out and I would need to go. But if, but if I went up to a police officer or a soldier or someone and I, 
I hit them in the face. What would be the punishment? He said, well, you'd be in prison. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, that makes sense. Like, can't do that. But what if I went to the king of your country and I spat in his face and then I slapped him? He said, you'd be dead. And he said, that's my point. Is that our sin isn't just about what we've done, though it is, but it's about who we've done it against. There is this one who is deserving of honor and glory, and he is good, and he does not deserve the way that we have rebelled against him and treated him and spoken to him and, and the things that we do in the face of our good creator are like a slap in the face to the king. And it invites his just judgment on us. You see, my, the way that Jesus called me to ministry was unexpected. I was a, I was a newer believer. I'd been walking with Jesus for a, a year, maybe a little bit more. And I was just trying to learn what it meant to follow him and proclaim the good news and, and share it with even my friends. And, and I, was, I, I was at a friend's house, and she was tutoring me in math. Um, we were in this honors class, and she was just world smarter than I was. And I just needed a little help to you know, make sure I didn't, didn't get a B or a C and make my parents mad. Um, but I needed some tutoring, and, uh, and, and this friend of mine was really intelligent. She was well-read. You know, you know those kind of people, they, they read everything, and you're like, how do you have that kind of time? You know? Well, she, she read like every Time magazine that came out. This was one of the things she read regularly. And she said, hey, Grant, I, I've got this new Time magazine, and I thought you'd be interested in it because I knew you are a Christian, and, and this was about this new book. And on the cover of Time magazine that week was a man named Rob Bell. And he had just written a book that argued that hell wasn't real. That in the end, every, everyone came to heaven with God. That this idea of God's judgment and, and hell that they weren't really real and that what the Bible was saying was something different. And he was writing this book and this, this book was popular and it was popular enough to get him on the cover of Time Magazine. And I read this article and as I'm reading, my heart's breaking because I'm realizing that this guy is trying to offer a God of hope without a God of justice. And, and the thing about that, friends, is there is no hope in a God that is not also just. I was reading this article, and I realized that he was leading thousands, if not millions of people, to the very hell that he said wasn't real. As he said that God's judgment wasn't a real thing. And I knew in that moment that I could do nothing else with my life but then preach the gospel of the kingdom. And you can't preach the good news of the kingdom without also preaching 
the bad news of the fall. And, and what I would say is, is not actually bad news, that God is just and that he has judgment for sin. That is not bad news, friends. That is good news. Because if God isn't just, and if he doesn't judge, then there is no hope for those who've experienced great evil and wrongdoing. There's no hope for the abuse victim. There's no hope for the wife who's left with kids because her husband had an affair and then left the family to start a new one. There's no hope for the person whose identity was stolen and the rest of their life, they're picking up the pieces of this financial crisis that they didn't do anything to put themselves in. If there's not a God of justice who judges sin, then we don't really have a reason for hope at all. And so friends, we have to know that while we must care for the hurting and preach the good news that your sins can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have to also preach and proclaim that if you reject the God of peace, you will have no peace. And there will be judgment. And I'm going to end it there this week. Not because I want to end on a down note but because I want us to see that this idea matters just as much as, as the ones we like to talk about more. And I want you to sit with it because this ought to drive us to be about proclaiming the good news and sharing it because God's judgment is real. It's not fake. And it doesn't matter how many books or how many people try to say that it's not. Our God is gracious and merciful, yes, but he's also just. That's good news. It's good news to see all of who God is. We'll continue next week to see a few more things from Luke 10 that we need to know for ministry. But let's pray. Father God, we, we need even more each day to see more of who you are, to grow in our knowledge of you, and kind of pray that somehow you would use just these few moments that we've had together to grow us in you. And God, I pray that you would continue to teach us what it means to follow you, what it means to serve you, wherever you've called us relying on your power, on your grace, and proclaiming all of who you are. Because there's good news in knowing the God who actually is rather than the one that we want to construct in our own minds. You are God. And so God, we come before you. And God, I, I rejoice with those who are forgiven in Christ and for those who aren't, 
who have rejected you, God, I pray that you would do a miraculous work in their hearts. You would cause them to turn to you in repentant faith, that they would no longer be under your just judgment, but they would be reconciled to you in Christ. And God, I pray for each of us that you would not allow fear or any other concern to keep us from sharing this message you've given us wherever you've called us. God, give us courage and fill us with your spirit. Empower us to be about your kingdom work. And we ask it in the beautiful name of the King.